evening and thank you for coming here tonight. We're going to turn to the book of Exodus, continue our wilderness journey and through Exodus and we are in chapter 17 tonight. Now we're projecting on the wall, onto the wall tonight as you can see. And um, looking for feedback, how good the quality is, because the intention is to remove the screen when we do the refurb. And because uh, we don't think it actually makes a difference when you project onto a white wall. But you may have different opinion. So if you struggle to read what's on the screen there today, then you can let Stephen know. <laughs> okay, so we'll... Um, Turn to Exodus chapter 17, and we'll read the whole chapter. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you, and there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the, mount, to, to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Then Moses built an altar and, and 
called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Amen. So we are continuing uh, in our journey with the people of Israel. And uh, um, we are in this section here. We can um, sort of um, divide the sort of first half of the book of Exodus up um, in the first 12 chapters. Um, we have the Lord coming to his people in their distress. And now in the chapter we are in, chapter 17, we're in the second section, which runs from chapter 13 to 18, uh, where the Lord went with his people uh, on their pilgrimage. And so they are uh, heading to the promised land. That first section, by the way, chapters 1 to 12, covers about 80 years, 80 80 years, 80. Um, this section we're in, chapters 13 to 18, cover about two months of this journey. And in these um, two months, in these six chapters, we have these six events. Um, the crossing of the Red Sea, the, the waters of Mara, the manna, and these we have covered already. And then we have water from the rock, the warfare with Amalek in chapter 17, and we'll, we'll deal with that tonight. And then next week, chapter 18, the arrival of Jethro, Moses' uh, father-in-law. So tonight we're looking at, at, at chapter 17, Water from the rock and warfare with Amalek. The first story, verses 1 to 7, it's a story about Israel complaining. In the second, it's Israel combating. The first, in the first story, they are testing the Lord. In the second story, they are triumphing over the enemy. The first story is about pressure from within. In the second story, we have pressure from without. And as, we're gonna, as we look through this chapter and, and we look at these two events, two experiences of the children of Israel... We shall see that the Lord was with his people in their pilgrimage. The Lord was exasperated with their disobedience. We see that in the previous chapter. Verse 28 of chapter 16. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? How long will you refuse? And so there, we get a sense of exasperation if, if that is an appropriate word to use of the Lord. But despite of that, and despite of 
their disbelief that we see and their grumbling that we see in chapter 17. Um, we see that the Lord was patient with them. He satisfied their needs and he gave them victory when they were attacked by the enemy. So we're going to look at these two events and always as we do that, we look at the the history and we look at what it meant for Israel. But of course, we remember that when Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and he speaks about Israel and he touches on some of the things that we have in our chapter tonight, he says that these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. And so we we study this chapter and we look to see what is the instruction for us. What has God to say to us today? So the first story, it's about complaining and it seems to be a, a sort of a, a running theme in, in the book of Exodus that the people complain. They arrive at this place called Rephidim, but there was no water and they complain. We read in chapter 15 that the people complained. They complained at Mara when there was no water. And the Lord made the water sweet to drink. In chapter 16, they were hungry and they complained. And the Lord gave them manna to eat. And now they are thirsty again and they complain again. Verse 2, the people quarreled with Moses. Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses. Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? In in verse 7, we read that the place was called Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us. And what was Moses' response to the grumbling and to the complaining? It says in verse 4, Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Moses, Moses was a great leader and He was under a lot of pressure. Pressure from inside the camp, pressure from outside the camp, as we'll see. It says in Hebrews uh, 11 uh, and verse 25 about Moses that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And that is, of course, true. But sadly, Moses was often mistreated by his people 
just as much as he was mistreated <coughs> with his people. And we see here that they are grumbling and they are ready to stone him. And they go back to Egypt and say, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Reminds me a bit of a a, a phrase that I remember from Mary Poppins. We we had a movie night um, during COVID time. We had a movie night every Friday and I remember watching uh, Mary Poppins during uh, lockdown. And there's a there's a, this phrase that sort of I I was reminded of as I saw this when Mary Poppins says to the bank's children, "Yes, too focused on where you've been to pay attention to where you are going. Too focused on where you've been to pay attention to where you are going." And it seems like that with the children of Israel here. They were so focused on where they'd been in Egypt. And they were looking back with rose-tinted glasses, no doubt. And they had forgotten where they were going. They were going to the promised land. But they were not focused on that. They were focused on where they had been and the present problem. And they questioned the presence of God with them. Is the Lord among us or not? And of course, he was with them. He had proved that to them over and over again in the manna, in, in, the, in the water of Marah, in, in taking them through the Red Sea. He was with them, but they were questioning him. And they grumbled, they complained. Now, as I mentioned earlier, grumbling, it's a, it's a running theme through the book of Exodus. And this is not the first time we come across it. And it's a challenge to us today, I think. What about us? What about us and grumbling and complaining? It's, it's one of those sins, perhaps, which fall under this, the heading that we might put on sins, respectable sins. You know, you might remember or be aware of the book by, um, by an author whose name I've forgotten, uh, called Respectable Sins. And these sins that... Um, you know, we don't really look at as bad enough to deal with. And we look at, you know, sins like drunkenness and sexual immorality and we, you know, we, we talk about them and we rightly, um, you know, abhor them. But there are these sins that have perhaps become acceptable among us. And perhaps grumbling, complaining, is one of those sins, one of those respectable sins. Jerry Bridges is the name of the author, just came to be there. But the, the New Testament has a lot to say about grumbling, you know. Um, 
Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. So how do we shine as lights in this world as Christians? Well, one way of shining uh, as lights in this crooked world is to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do everything without complaining. There's another verse in the book of James. James says this, Do not grumble against one another's, sorry, one another, brothers, so that you may be judged. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Do not grumble against one another. So we have to ask ourselves, do we grumble against the Lord? Do we grumble against one another? And we see in James here that the opposite of grumbling is steadfastness and patience. And that's, it's a steadfastness and it's a patience that comes from an awareness of the purpose and character of God. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And it seems as we think about the people of Israel that they had forgotten about the purpose of the Lord to free them out of Egypt and to take them to the promised land. They had forgotten about the character of the Lord that he is merciful and compassionate. But if we have that mindset, if we think about the character of God and the sovereignty of God and the purposes of God, perhaps we will be more, not perhaps, we will be more steadfast. We will be more patient in our suffering. And James, he speaks a lot about this. And in fact, in in, in chapter 1, he goes further and he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet these trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wonderful to be able to do this. It's hard it's not something that comes easy to us. That when we endure trial, to be steadfast and patient, considering the purposes of God and the, 
the character of God. Now, let's go back to Rephidim. The pressure that Moses was under when the people complained made him cry to the Lord. And here's another important lesson for us. Crying to the Lord. What a contrast between Moses and the people. They grumbled. Moses lamented. Now there's a big difference between a lament and a complaint. Let me give you a quote. This is from uh, a writer from Canada called Anne Voskamp. She's not really my cup of tea, but Senga likes reading her. And uh, she writes a lot of good stuff, to be fair. <clears throat> and she, write, she writes this. Lament is a cry of belief in a God who has his ear to our hearts. A God who transfigures the ugly into beauty. Complaint is the bitter howl of unbelief in any benevolent God in this moment. A distrust in the love beat of the Father's heart. You know, the Bible is full of lamentations, full of laments. In fact, you know that there's a book called Lamentations. And as we read through the book of Psalms, we see that there are so many psalms which are laments where the psalmists just pour out their hearts to God. Now, God doesn't expect us to be Christian versions of Pollyanna. I don't know if you're familiar with Pollyanna. It's a, um, a classic children's novel. Uh, I remember reading it with the children. And Pollyanna was this 11-year-old orphan who goes to live with her aunt, who was a cold and stern spinster. And um, as a coping mechanism, Pollyanna developed this, um, the glad game, uh, which is about finding something to be glad about in every situation. And so one Christmas, she was hoping to get a doll in the missionary barrel. But she got a pair of crutches. And she didn't need a pair of crutches. So she thought, well, I'm glad that I don't need crutches. And, and, and that's, the, that's the kind of glad game. And she's just this 11-year-old girl who never sees, who, who always seems to cope with whatever adversity is thrown at her just by looking at the positive. Now, God is not expecting us to be sort of Christian versions of Pollyanna and just being happy regardless. But we can pour our hearts to God. We can lament. And that is exactly what Moses did. He cried out to God. And the Lord heard Moses' lament and he heard their grumbling, the grumbling of the people, and he met their need. And he told Moses, and he said in verse 5, Pass on before me, sorry, pass on before the people, 
taking with you some of the elders and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock. And so Moses goes to this rock and the Lord was standing with him. Perhaps the Lord was standing there with, as a pillar of cloud because the people were ready to stone Moses and the Lord stood there in protection to protect Moses. And, and Moses was told to take the rod and to strike the rock and water would come gushing out, which it did. And the people will drink, the Lord said, and they did. And it doesn't say, but they were satisfied. Their thirst were, was quenched. Their needs were met. Now, this is, this is a, a wonderful uh, illustration of the presence of God with his people and how he meets our needs, our, our deepest needs. Perhaps not our felt needs, but our real needs. And when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells us that the rock was Christ. The rock that Moses struck was a type of Christ. And we remember that the Lord Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone come, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And so this, the rock that Moses was told to strike with his rod is a picture of Christ. And we have come to Christ and we have, we have drunk of the water, that living water that he gives. Now it's, you, you may remember that there are actually two incidents in, in, in the scriptures of the rock being struck and water gushing from the rock. The other one is found in Numbers 10, and sorry, Numbers 20 at the waters of Meribah. I think it's the same rock, actually. Um, the rock that followed them, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. But there in, in Numbers 20, Moses is, is not told to strike the rock, but he is told to speak to the rock. Well, you may remember that, that there in Numbers 20, that instead of speaking to the rock, Moses struck the rock, the rock twice. And because Moses was disobedient to the Lord there in Numbers 20, God said to him that he would not enter the promised land. So the reason for Moses not being allowed to enter Canaan was because at, on that second occasion, that instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock twice. Now I think, the, well, we know the Bible, the scripture tells us that the rock is a picture of Christ, it's a type of Christ. And this rock being struck with a rod, I think it's, it's a picture, is it not, of the Lord Jesus being stricken and smitten by God. 
as a result of the Lord Jesus being stricken and smitten by God, our deepest needs have been met. But he was only stricken and smitten once. You know, he does not need to do that again. That work at the cross never needs to be repeated. And that's why I think that Moses was only to strike the rock once. And on the second time he was to speak to the rock. But of course he disobeyed God. And he couldn't get into the promised land. So we have this incident incident with the rock, with the water, the complaining and them testing the Lord and how the Lord satisfied their needs. And we come to the, the second incident tonight, which is a fascinating story and I suppose one we, we know well perhaps from Sunday school days or um, just it's such a, a, a story that is um, memorable for so many reasons. We read that Amalek came and fought with Israel at, Rem- at Rephidim and, and Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men to fight with Amalek. This is the first time we come across Joshua in the Bible. This is also the first and and the only battle in the book of Exodus, as we'll come to in in, in a a minute. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 25 sheds a bit more light on this, um, what happened with Amalek. You know, in, 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 in Deuteronomy 25, God says to them, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off the tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. That's verses 17 and 18 in Deuteronomy 25. You know, Amalek came and there were those, remember there was two million people or so traveling through the desert and there would have been those who were lagging behind. And there's a danger of lagging behind. So if you go on a walk with somebody, you know, keep up with them, you know, don't drag behind. Um, But that's what these people did. They were lagging behind. And the enemy saw it and he pounced. Amalek attacked those who were lagging behind, those who were faint and weary. Now Amalek, he was a grandson of Esau. And the people of Amalek were a constant threat to Israel right through their history, right until uh, the days of Hezekiah when they were completely destroyed. They were a thorn in the flesh of Israel. And they attacked the weak. But Israel fought back and Israel prevailed against them. Joseph went to fight while Moses went to pray. Joshua, he led the, bat- he, Joshua led the charge in the battle. 
and Moses went up the mountain with Aaron and Hur. As Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. But when Moses lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. And as Moses grew tired, uh, they put a stone under him to sit on. And Aaron and Hur, they held up his hands right until sunset. And it says that Joshua overwhelmed Amalek. The fight may have taken place in the valley, but the victory was won on the mountain. That's what Alec Matier says in his commentary. The fight may have taken place in the valley, but the battle was won on the mountain. As I mentioned earlier, this is the first battle in, sorry, this is the only battle in the book of Exodus. In chapter 14, you may remember that it was God alone who dealt with the armies of Egypt. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. Exodus 14 verses 13 to 14. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you. They were not to lift a finger. But here it's different. Go out and fight with Amalek. Now I want to suggest to you tonight that there's a significance in this. The difference. By the difference I mean that The Lord dealt with Egypt single-handedly and he made the armies of Egypt disappear in the Red Sea just as he had made the locusts disappear in the Red Sea, in the plague, the eighth plague. Israel didn't lift a finger. God dealt with them. But here, chapter 17 Moses says, go out and fight. Now, that's instructive. That's uh, significant. Think about the enemy and the circumstances. With Egypt, the issue at stake was Israel's freedom. Israel's redemption. Egypt wanted, Pharaoh and Egypt wanted to bring them back into bondage and slavery. He wanted to bring God's people back into the past, back into that uh, situation where they were in bondage. But God was having none of it. And he dealt with the armies of Egypt single-handedly. With Amalek, it's not so much Israel's freedom which is at stake but it is their progress. Amalek wasn't going to bring them back into slavery. He wanted to weaken Israel. He wanted to hinder their progress. And so Moses told Joshua to go out and fight. 
while he took a position at the top of the mountain with the staff of God in his hands. Now, as I said, I think this is instructive and I'm sure that you, are, you know where I'm heading here. As far as our redemption is concerned, as far as our salvation is concerned, there's absolutely nothing for us to do. When it comes to the past, when it comes to safeguarding our future, the battle belongs to the Lord. He will accomplish it. And we have to remind ourselves of this constantly, don't we? And we do that by singing good hymns, for example, like Horatius Boner's hymn, Thy grace alone O Lord, to me can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this or bondage break. No other work save thine, no other blood will do. No strength but that which is divine can bear me safely through. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease my weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can me can give me peace within thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. So the, the battle, as far as our redemption, our salvation is concerned, it's the Lord's. And we remind ourselves of that when we tell teachers speak the gospel to ourselves but when it comes to our daily progress as christians when it comes to our ongoing struggle with sin and with the enemy the flesh and the devil we need to fight We don't say, let go and let God. You know, that's sort of this phrase that was quite popular some, some time ago. Just leave it to God, he will sort it. Read Exodus 14, you know. Just, it's okay. Let, leave it over to God. That's not the case. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. This charge I entrust to you, that you may wage a good warfare. That you may wage a good warfare. We're in a war and we need to fight as Christians. But we are not fighting alone in our own strength. Paul says to the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He said to his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. John chapter 15. And to the disciples in the garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14 verse 33, he said, Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And so when it comes to 
our walk, our progress, our sanctification. We fight and we pray. And that's what happened here. That's what happened here. Moses, I think, is a picture of the Lord. No, sorry. Moses is a picture of us. Praying. Joshua is a picture of us. Fighting. Both are required. No, you could say that perhaps Moses is a picture of the Lord, as our, God as our high priest interceding for us. Possibly. Maybe it's Aaron that is the picture of Christ here in this story. You know, we, I don't think Moses is a picture of Christ because his hands were weakening. You know, his legs were weakening and he had to sit down. He had to get Aaron her to hold his hands up. <clears throat> so I think Moses is a picture of us in our warfare. And perhaps Aaron is a picture of the high priest, the great high priest, the one who gives us strength. Perhaps her, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but perhaps her is a picture of fellow believers. Is that not true? We can't fight the fight alone. We need to pray. We need the strengthening of our great high priest. We need the support of fellow believers. And I think that's the lesson here. It's fighting a good fight depending on the Lord Jesus in prayer. Notice verse 15. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi. In Hebrew, Jehovah Nissi. Saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. A hand upon the throne of the Lord. I think the uplifted hands of Moses is a person, picture of a saint praying. And the uplifted hands of a saint touches the very throne of God. Isn't that wonderful? There's a picture of this in, in the book of Esther. In Esther chapter 5, you remember that when she, she picked up the courage to go to the king. It says, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner courts of the king's palace in the front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting, sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. What happened next? Then Esther approached and she touched the tip 
of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you. And here in Exodus chapter 17, Moses' hands touched the throne of God. May God help us to pray and to fight. Leaning on the strength of the Lord in our battle. And may we be like her, supporting others in their praying and in their fighting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the lessons that are so plain in your word. And Father, we pray that you'll help us not to complain, not to grumble. Father, you know the circumstances we go through. You know that many of us, many here, are going through difficult times and difficult trials. But Father, we do pray that you'll give us steadfastness and patience. And and instead instead of grumbling, Father, help us to cry to you for help. We thank you for the love beat of our Father's heart. And help us, Father, in our daily, daily walk, daily fight with sin. We think of the enemy looking to attack, knowing our weaknesses. And, Father, we pray that you will help us to be on guard and to fight the good fight, leaning on your strength, and help us to pray. And we ask this now, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.